Okay. So I have returned for another trial of Byte for TryGames.net. This is Al, the Antipode. And I'm here to talk about some games and some movie that seems to be compared to a game. And hopefully I can go at length, but this will probably be very short because I'm going to start with what I've been playing, which has been actually nothing. Um, well, nothing except Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core. I've been completely occupied with catching up on television shows, and I have no idea why I'm actually putting that, like, as a a priority. Well, I do know why. It's because I want to get it out of the way, and I want to be regular with certain things. Like, uh, I've been watching Dexter. I've uh, been watching that a lot, and I'm finally caught up, and I'm... I really enjoy the show. Uh, if you like shows that, you know, are pretty tense, then they create this big suspense and tension up until the end of the show, and then uh, pretty much either go there the way you didn't think it would go or the way you expected if you're used to shows like that. Um, you know, it's pretty dramatic, and it's really cool. Uh, I'd recommend it to anybody who likes crime dramas and stuff like that. I've also been catching up on 24 because there's a marathon uh, from Austin Senor Chupon's friend uh, next month. So uh, I've seen up to season 4. He gave me seasons 5 and 6 and the marathon is for season 7. So I'm just about a little more than halfway through season 5 and um, it's very interesting and I, I can't wait to you know finish it and be able to discuss it with uh, all the 24 heads. And um, then go through season six and be ready for it by the time the marathon comes up. Uh, and then on top of all that, I've been watching you know regular the regular TV shows. Like my normal TV shows that I watch are, uh, say I watch Flash Forward. There's the Sunday stuff, uh, Simpsons, Cleveland Show, Family Guy, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, and I watch Inside the NFL on Wednesdays. That's pretty much all I watch on TV during the week. Um, I, I don't like to keep my plate full because I also have other things to do. Like, I'm starting to practice guitar again. I bought a metronome over the weekend. And I am really set on trying to improve my skill again. But this time, um, I, I think I'm really going to be in it for the long haul. And nothing's going to come up to get in my way like it did earlier this year. Hopefully I'll come up with some videos and put them on my blog, which is at xlm2k.blogspot.com. Please visit, please watch, please leave comments. Um, but now let's talk about some video games. Uh, we got Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core, which I've been playing uh, almost 20 hours now. And I've been spending a lot of my time playing the missions, uh, as I mentioned before, on, uh, I believe it was the most recent podcast, or may have been two podcasts ago. Uh, that would be 148, 149, or 150. Um, there is a mission structure, like a su almost like a sub-quest, where uh, you can do various missions for various reasons if you satisfy certain uh, things, like if you pick up certain items or if you go to certain places, uh, if you do certain things, you can open up missions that uh, give you certain items, and they have a little progress indicator so you know you can complete all of them and you can tell where you are and I think I'm like 35% complete with all the missions but of course not all of them are unlocked yet 
Um, I'm having a lot of fun with those just because it's, you know, something I can do if I have 15 minutes to spare and I don't really have anything else to do. I'll just open up the PSP and uh, do a couple of missions. And you can only do them at save points, so you start at the save point, go right into the missions, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in this terms of the story, I'm kind of at a point where I think I may be close to the end. Uh, because it seems like all of the characters have been revealed that are integral to Final Fantasy VII, and then a lot of things that occurred that related back to the original game. Um, and stuff is starting, to, they seem to be coming to a head, but it doesn't seem as serious, but I, I would have to guess it doesn't seem as serious because of the fact that Final Fantasy VII does the whole thing, and then it get, comes to a head, and everything just gets real serious, and uh, this only leads up to it. So, uh, I'm still looking forward to finishing the game, but I'm kind of really taking it slowly. Um, I also managed to play a game of Madden 10 because uh, my online franchise played last night uh, Steelers versus the Browns, which everyone should know is week, uh, what is that, week 6? Yes, that would be this week uh, in current football, and uh, I beat the Browns. It's... Like I mentioned before, if I didn't mention it, uh, I'm sorry. But our league has a, a custom draft, so the players on my Steelers aren't the players that are on the real Steelers. But um, I have a lot of like players from the Saints now. Like I have Jeremy Shockey, and I have Reggie Bush as my running back. And uh, they've been delivering. The, I pretty much, I didn't destroy the Browns, but I, I did a damn good job uh, passing and whatnot. I think only threw one interception this time. Which is much better than the five I've been throwing like since week one, five per game. So uh, I think I'm getting a little better, but I don't think I'm gonna be able to beat all the other people in the league because they play the game like every damn day and every minute I see them on Xbox they're playing. But anyway, on to the meat of my trial bite, which will be discussing the uh, recently announced news about uh, not announced news, but the recent news story that appeared on ABC about the comparison of Metroid Prime Trilogy to Citizen Kane, where Citizen Kane, of course, is a movie from 1941 about a uh, newspaper mogul that is deemed the greatest film of all time. And uh, that film is being, uh, I guess, not compared to, but it it is being shown in the same light as Metroid Prime Trilogy, which would then give Metro Prime Trilogy the title of best game of all time. And I, I, I don't quite agree with it on certain grounds, but there are lots of um, analogs. There are lots of things that make Metroid Prime Trilogy kind of almost in the same vein as Citizen Kane. But the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to just uh, briefly discuss the qualities of this movie and compare them to the other movies that were coming out at the time and these things, these qualities, will pretty much signify why the film critics say that this film is the greatest film of all time. So, if you've never seen the movie, it's um, basically about a newspaper mogul who passes away and his, I mean, I believe Pete said this actually officially on the podcast, but if he didn't, or if you didn't hear it, or whatever. He dies, he says the word Rosebud as his dying word, 
and uh, the news goes all over the papers and blah blah blah. There's a group of people, I believe that they are reporters. Uh, I wasn't quite sure on that, and I didn't bother to really look into it. But um, they were tasked, or actually it's one guy, I believe. He was tasked to find out what Rosebud meant. And in order to do this, he had to ask uh, everyone who was associated with Charles Forster King, who is the newspaper mogul who had passed away. Uh, in trying to find out what Rosebud meant, he came across quite a few people. Uh, one of his, uh, actually, yeah, it was like his um, current wife who left him uh, before his decline. Uh, certain people he worked with. Uh, and even read a book uh, or diary of uh, this man who had taken him into custody early in his youth. Uh, without giving a, away any elements of the story, uh, or what Rosebud, what Rosebud means, if um, that wasn't already revealed by anybody else you may know, including Pete, which I believe may have been on recorded onto the podcast, but I'm not going to talk about that because I don't remember. Um, the movie generally deals with regression. It deals with going back in time through the stories of the people and the, the diary of the, uh, the benefactor. Benefactor? Yeah, benefactor. That's the word. Uh, it goes through these, these little kind of uh, regression sequences where the person is telling the story, and then it kind of fades and goes into a, uh, a time when this person was young or this person was older or things like that. And it would go and tell the story of this man through their stories, but visually to us where it was verbally to the reporter. Um, a lot of the camera angles that they used in the movie were non-standard as well. It's like, you know, movies of this time, a lot of the classic movies, they generally dealt with present time, uh, present time, present time frames, I guess I could say, uh, with general standard camera angles, like almost like a soap opera, where if people are talking to each other, they're generally both on camera with their faces generally in the direction of the camera or maybe looking at each other so that you can see their faces and make out the the words that they're saying. But you know how usually shows nowadays, they have conversations where you're seeing the back of one person and then the front of the other person and they keep switching every time somebody finishes speaking to see the reaction on the other person's face or to see what the other person is saying. And it's a kind of a flip-flop back and forth. Well, Citizen Kane kind of does these weird things where it'll... <clears throat> Hold the camera angle behind a character, most likely in, in this case, in mo most of the time it was behind the reporter, the investigator. Uh, and the <clears throat> person he was interviewing would be in the front of the cam camera talking to the reporter, but the camera angle was such that the reporter was shrouded, almost as if you're taking the place of the reporter, that the reporter is not really important because the person is actually talking to you. And in the process of talking to you, it, it immerses you into the, the environment and the atmosphere where a lot of other movies of that time didn't do. It, it was almost like you were sitting in a theater watching a movie, as opposed to you actually sitting in the room with a person telling the story. Then there would be things like a camera angle would come from a floor, and it would focus on something that it wanted you to focus on, but other things were happening that were important at the same time, but they would all focus on the object that, it, that the camera was focusing on. And they didn't do that at all either in, in other movies. Um, 
little things like that really kind of made this movie stand out uh, to me, even because you know, a part of actually I work in a um, in a not a movie studio, but the the place where I work is a broadcast uh, studio where we get tapes of classic movies. So I've seen quite a few classic movies, and uh, that's where I can draw the comparison from and and, and contrast how these stories are conveyed and how the the story writing and the 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 cinematography was done through other movies as compared to Citizen Kane and there there was also a lot of um like a, a lot of great shooting with the camera of course and a lot of great uh orchestration with music that would reveal how dark the mood is for certain scenes that you know were dark and it would brighten up for things that actually were pretty good and joyous and things like that but you know overall the movie was kind of dark because it was about you know the rise and fall of a, a powerful man uh, and also most of the movies that were done uh, most of the classic films that were done at the time mind you this was 1941 most of the movies that were done in and around that time dealt with certain time frames I think I just said that but I don't remember but they don't deal with jumping back and forth between present and past and different parts of the past so uh, that also makes this movie very unique where it's not like this entire movie is taking place in the year 1941 or this entire movie is taking place in the year 1872 or something like that um, so when you take those elements of Citizen Kane and then you throw Metro Prime Trilogy on it, or in particular the first Metro Prime, uh, you know, there are a lot of comparisons that you can draw. You can draw uh, comparisons in storytelling where, you know, you are the investigator. Whereas in Citizen Kane, a lot of the angles coming uh, from the interviews were right over the shoulder of the investigator. Metroid Prime Trilogy takes its storytelling, puts you into the suit, not right over the shoulder of Sam Saren, but into her suit. And it kind of personifies the entire experience that way. Also, uh, the story is, you know, drawn through regression, where not direct regression, where everything that you see in Metroid Prime is a flashback. But actually, nothing you see in Metroid Prime is a flashback. Um, most of the the remnants of the past you see are through the things that you scan and the age of the environment that you're in where you know things are all broken down and they're decrepit things don't work and you have to make them work and uh, you know those are all elements of the past that you're kind of seeing and then there, I believe that there were some scenes that I could be confusing this with Metro Prime 2 but there were some there are scenes in the trilogy where you can kind of see actions of things where, uh, you know, people who used to be in the area, you can see kind of like what they did. I believe that that was something that was on um, Metro Prime 2. Uh, I could be mistaken, but I do believe that that was the case. So, um, yeah, I'm right, you're wrong. Sorry? Right. Then, let's see, I lost myself. <laughs> Great. Um, so another comparison you can make between Citizen Kane and Metro Prime Trilogy is in 
the general concept and the general direction of the story. Like, you know, Citizen Kane is about telling the story of a man. And Metropolitan Trilogy, uh, the first game was about telling the story of a planet that is being attacked. And how its um, inhabitant race had been, uh, for the most part, eradicated. Actually, it was for the complete part, eradicated. But, um, Metro Prime 2 was about investigating yet another planet and discovering that most of its race has been eradicated and learning about the various features, not features, I, I should say, learning about the various events that occurred that created this situation, uh, learning about the, the war between Ether and Dark Ether that resulted in the world being as such. Although there are characters that are technically living in Metro Prime 2, uh, they don't do much to detract from the fact that you're still investigating something that happened in the past. Uh, you are certainly saving and, and you know do, committing acts that uh, indicate that you're dealing with something that is a present tense, but whatever is the present tense is as a result of the things that happened in the past, and that's, you know, something that you're there to learn, which is really cool about Metro Prime 2, uh, even the first one, but I think it's more direct than Metro Prime 2 on a personal level. I don't really, I, Metro Prime 3 is more about a present time type of thing, so I think that it kind of uh, eludes the comparison. It's really more about the first two games, and even more so about the first game. Uh, the direction in which they take for, you know, Retro Studios, and the direction in which they take to tell you the story of Metro Prime, you know, through scanning things, through uh, investigating old archaic computer systems, and, you know, looking at um, old you know, archaic writings and being able to translate them into your into English so you can understand them. Uh, like in Metro Prime 2, there were lots of things that were translated into uh, the Ether language, but you needed the codec. And there were certain parts, there were uh, certain things that were written that were only translatable by certain codecs, and then they had different parts of the language, you had to get the different codecs in order to be able to decipher what they were saying, and they would tell the story of the war, and it was, you know, very, very deep. And, uh, you know, these things really contribute to the making of a great game, and a very memorable game, and a game that you can always come back to, and you can uh, experience anew after, you know, a long period of going through other things, evolving, having time pass, you know, if you finished Metroid Prime in, you know, 2003, and come back to it in 2010, it, it can be a very refreshing experience for you, because the world, although it hasn't changed, is something that is always very refreshing. It, it doesn't do anything new, particularly, but what it does, which is the same old thing that it does, is, is always a, a welcome thing. Uh, in my opinion, I should say. Like, I, I always will look forward to running through Magma Caverns and dodging the fire and trying to figure out how to maneuver uh, through the certain puzzles that dealt with the fire. And in Metro Prime 2, I, I've kind of 
you know, I have this, like, weird freaky fear thing with, like, um, being exposed to, uh, harmful environments. I, I hate doing it, like, in, uh, in Metro Prime 2, in Dark Aether, if you do, if you're not under the, um, the protection of the light, there are these light beams and things like that, or protected rooms, you take damage. And those things kind of freak me out, like, it make, makes me want to go, oh, I gotta get out of here, I gotta go to the next room. And sometimes, you know, I don't, I, I'm, I get very, um, hesitant from going from one room to another if I gotta, like, kind of blitz through the room and take damage from this harmful environment that's eating away at my armor and my life points while trying to find the next place. It's kind of, uh, very tense on me. And I've gotten over that, but I can always look forward to, you know, revisiting Ether and Dark Ether and, you know, seeing the analogies, not analogies, the, the analogs between both worlds and seeing what Ravage, how Ravage, you know, dark ether is in comparison to normal ether and, and the effects that the, the dark ether race has committed. Man, what am I talking about? Anyway, uh, seeing the effects of the war between the light and the dark on that planet, it's, it's something that doesn't get old for me. Uh, certain things do kind of get old, like certain fights and things like that, and I think that the overall quality of the game kind of defeats those things that I didn't like about each, you know, Metro Prime 1, Metro Prime 2. It, you know, like, there was some really annoying puzzles, uh, especially, I think, in, um, actually, no, that's a different game. That's Ninja Gaiden in Black. Anyway, um, I feel like you can make analogs between Citizen Kane and Metroid Prime, but I don't think that that makes them, uh, that places them under the same title. Like, I don't think that you can really say that Metroid Prime is the greatest game ever just because of the fact that it shares uh, certain similarities <clears throat> with a movie that has been called the greatest film of all time. I think that Citizen Kane is called the greatest film of all time. Is I think that the reason it is called the greatest film of all time is that um, it explores things that no other movie of its generation had explored. It, it explored techniques that no other movie of his generation had explored, and it had set the standard for a lot of the things that filmmakers do now. And that's what gives it its magnitude of its greatness, that it's, it's done a lot of things that have pretty much revolutionized the way that films are made. I could be wrong about that, but I think that a lot of the things that I saw in Citizen Kane were things that I see in movies all the time now, but you rarely saw in movies before. Uh, Metro Prime Trilogy hasn't really revolutionized the way games are made, in my opinion. Um, it is still a, uh, you know, a derivative of its original, you know, Metroid. They take the Metroid game and they do its best to convert that type of exploration and gameplay into a 3D environment while, uh, you know, properly balancing the amount of platforming and shooting uh, along with the adventure. And I do remember, like, when Metroid Prime was first announced, you know, people were all concerned about how you were going to jump platforms because that was an integral part of Metroid. Uh, you know, 
jumping over platforms, using certain abilities to get across large pits, being able to see uh, up and down and to see where you were going was a big thing, a, a big gripe that people had when it came to the making of Metroid Prime. And I think that that was done very well. Uh, it could have, you know, by all means, it could have been done in third person. You know, it would have been in first person for all the shooting, and then when it came to do a, a time for a platforming part, Retro Studios could have just converted everything to third person, and, and that would have taken away from the experience. So I think the balance between the platforming and the shooting and the adventure, you know, the, the seeking of information really helps make Metroid Prime a great game, but I don't think that it has revolutionized games. It, it hasn't done really much of uh, anything in particular that would increase its magnitude of greatness that makes all other games or a lot of other games of its type emulate it. Uh, I, I be only mainly because I think that it is already trying to emulate and transform something that was done in what 1987 or whatever uh, 1988 1987 whatever year Metroid came out uh, you know for all we know this same kind of thing could have been done with Castlevania you know you can take Castlevania which now you know has transformed into a Metroid style of game especially for Nintendo DS and uh, Game Boy Advance and of course you know it all started with Symphony of the Night uh, you can take that type of game and try and transform that into a first-person, kind of adventure-ish, uh, slower-paced type of game where you're, you know, using a whip if you're a vampire hunter or if you're using various other abilities if you were playing as Alucard, for example. Um, the same thing, I think, could be done with Castlevania and could be done well. But you don't really see it happening. So, you know, imagine if Castlevania had followed in the footsteps of Metroid Prime and done something like that for the PlayStation 2 era. And then, you know, all these other games come out and they are combining this rich storytelling of, you know, indirect, indirectly telling you the story, not through voiceover characters or even text dialogue between two characters. It was mainly between exploring the world and gathering information from the world itself. It's not really something that has become the norm or even something that you see frequently. So I think that that kind of lessens the effect of Metroid Prime being the greatest game of all time. It's a wonderful game, but to be able to put it at a certain definitive level at the top of the heap, uh, I don't know. I mean, if you really want to give greatest game of all time based on the standards that I have mentioned about Citizen Kane doing things, revolutionizing the way that games are made, of course that will go to Super Mario Brothers, because Super Mario Brothers was a game that revolutionized the way that all games are made. Uh, care to agree? Care to disagree? Since information in the mailbag, we will talk about it. So I'm done beating this horse into the ground and I will see you all on the next podcast take care you all and never stop playing video games never stop best game of all time